Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Today is Sunday, March 5th, 2023. The regular season for the Xavier Musketeers is over. We are doing this on Sunday night because Rick has to do the Horizon League semifinals. NKU playing Youngstown State on Monday night at 7 o'clock, so we're doing this. I'll be traveling to New York. Schedule's lined up best to do this right now on Sunday. Uh, We know we got a long way until the Big East Tournament on Wednesday. Xavier playing Thursday night at 7. Xavier beats Butler on Saturday night, 78-66. to Xavier finishes the season 23-8 and overall, 15-5 and in conference play. But the big news lately, and it just broke within the last hour, is Zach Fremantle. It was announced that he will miss the postseason due to a foot injury. The same foot injury that's been bugging him for the last month or so. He's going to get surgery on it. He tried to test it out. It didn't work. He's going to get season-ending surgery on it. On Tuesday, John Rossi and Adam Baum both tweeting that out a few minutes ago. And now all of a sudden, uh, a Xavier team that had been struggling a little bit at depth when players had gotten into foul trouble, or they're just going to have to roll with what they've done since January 28th. I'll give you the rundown here. Xavier actually dropped three spots this morning, even with the win uh, in the net. They dropped from 19 to 22. They did pick up a quad one win, a seventh quad one win on the year. Bracket Matrix, they are the second three seed on the S-curve. They are a seed behind Connecticut. Connecticut is the top four seed. Marquette is the top three seed. So still a long way to go for Xavier. Maybe an impossible jump to get all the way up that high unless Marquette was to lose game one of the Big East tournament and Xavier was to win the whole thing. Maybe you could jump an entire seed that way. But um, we'll get into all of that and more in the Big East tournament on some of those projections as the uh, podcast goes on and we take your calls. But, Rick, the news to start things off and the news we got in the last 45 minutes is Zach Fremantle unavailable now for the postseason. And if you look at the numbers for Xavier, they've gotten incrementally better offensively and they've gotten significantly better defensively just by the numbers since Zach Fremantle went out. My question to you to lead this off is, and I had somebody ask me this today at Xavier. I was working the the high school tournaments all day today at Cintas, and we were talking about it, and I said, well, you know, even if Zach doesn't come back, how much of this in your mind, Rick, over the last month is the team just getting more used to playing under Sean Miller's system, and how much of it is they have a better defensive lineup on the floor with Jerome Hunter instead of Zach Fremantle? Yeah, I think a lot a lot of it's the latter. Now, it's definitely a combination of the two things, but a lot of it is the latter because playing Desmond Claude and Jerome Hunter more minutes and especially more minutes together along with a guy like Colby Jones has made this team better defensively. There's no question about that. And I just don't think that you were going to play them those minutes together if Zach Fremantle was still there. And you probably just weren't willing to take the risk of taking Zach Fremantle off the floor or potentially other guys off the floor that were already in your regular rotation to give these guys some more minutes. So on one hand, I guess you found these things out through the injury. But on the other hand, if Zach was able to come back, I think some people were looking at it through a prism of, it would have ruined what they had figured out and the way they were playing recently. I don't think that would have been the case at all. I think you would have now found that, hey, we have another way to beat teams. When we have trouble guarding a team or matching up with someone because they're playing a smaller lineup or spreading us out or we can't guard their ball screen actions or something like that, this gave them an answer to that. And they could go smaller. They they could play Jerome Hunter and Desmond Claude more minutes. So 
I only saw it as really being another weapon and making this team deeper and more versatile in general. But at the same time, uh, being without Zach Fremantle, I don't think they're screwed. I don't think the season is over. They've already shown that they can play with top teams in the country. I think the big concern now becomes what happens when Jack Nungy gets in foul trouble, as he has the last few games. Can you survive those minutes against quality competition from a rebounding standpoint and from a defensive standpoint? And then also, it definitely makes you a little less explosive offensively and gives you a a little less opportunity to create mismatches against opposing defenses. To me, this does not necessarily change the ceiling of this Xavier team and what they can accomplish this year in the NCAA tournament. Do you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that to me, they've always been a potential second weekend type team. And I think the big caveat to that is because of their struggles defensively, if they're faced with the wrong matchup, they don't have a lot of room for air, and they could definitely lose early in the first weekend. That wouldn't surprise most people, I don't think. But at the same time, if the matchups align properly, I wouldn't be surprised to see this team make a run to the Elite Eight. I don't think that's impossible for this group. I think a lot of it is really going to be matchup dependent, and I think that was the case with Zach Fremantle, and I certainly think that's the case now without him. And look, we we talk a lot about being matchup dependent in the NCAA tournament. I know that's a phrase that gets thrown out a lot. But I think there are definitely teams that are more matchup dependent than others. And I talked on the on the rebound rundown with Jim Root earlier this week about that. And I asked him what his preference would be if if he was a a Xavier coach, what would he look at in a number one seed? And he said, well, you're probably looking at a team like Alabama, a team that can go run up and down the court and just you go up and outscore them. And, you know, you you get a matchup that favors you instead of maybe one of those teams that grinds you down like we've talked about so much over the last couple of weeks. You know, Rick, I got to say, I got to say here as we get this thing going, how nice has it been over the last, I don't know, three, four, five days going into the Butler game on the message board? I I clicked a thread and I just kind of stepped back and I looked at it and I thought to myself, man, this whole thread is everybody – I don't want to say arguing, that sounds too tense, but everybody uh, very animated about where Xavier's going to be, maybe what location they might get in the NCAA tournament, what the seed line is, all of that, and and what Xavier's potential could be. And it got a little little tense at some points and people having some fun talking about it. And I thought, man, how different is that thread compared to, wait, 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 are we going to lose to Butler and, and not make the NCAA tournament like it has been the last, three to four seasons I, it's just well yeah and, just, and, and, such a, just such a different vibe the, the conversation never even got to that point in past years by the time we got this late in the season it was just all about who the next head coach was going to be and things of that nature so uh yeah I mean it's just been a much more fun year to talk about college basketball yeah. and the actual games going on and what's ahead for this team and and that continues even despite the the tough news which I think a lot of people had kind of sensed was coming with the way that Sean Miller was starting to phrase things over the last few days. You know, it went from we're hopeful that he's going to come back. We're optimistic about him coming back to it's up to him and we're going to get a final answer soon. And when, when we started hearing it phrased differently like that, I think everyone started to realize like, ah, something's changed here and and this doesn't sound great for Xavier. So I, I think if, I think if you were reading between the lines in the last week or so, I don't think this news really comes as that much of a shock to anybody. 
No, no, I would agree with that. Which, speaking of, I mean, load. go ahead and start loading calls up. If you want to get in here and talk immediately about the Zach Fremantle stuff, I understand it just came out within the last half hour or hour here. So, by all means, if you guys want to talk about that, uh, I'm, I'm willing to talk about that right off the top with you guys. Uh, but we'll continue to go through some other stuff as well, and uh, feel free to jump in at any point in terms of the calls. Paul, in terms of what this means for Xavier, what this means for their chances, I mean, I kind of laid my thoughts out. Where do you come out on this news of Xavier losing Zach Freemail and how much it impacts them? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I had any insider information or anything more than you, than you or Adam had from all of us talking together over the last month. But I think from the way that uh, from the way that this news came out maybe a month or so ago, and the way that this had been trending, I had thought from from maybe two or three days after the injury, I, I immediately thought from that day. If he comes back, it's gravy because it just always feels, and I've said this before, it always feels like these kinds of things just linger and they linger and we hear, oh, they're coming back to practice or like Rothstein tweeted the other day, oh, he's available. And then all of a sudden I walk by him and he's still in the boot. And it's just one of those things where the, it just it just lingers. And I, I had thought to myself a month ago at the beginning of February before the Butler game, all right, if he comes back, cool. But I'm rolling with this team going forward, knowing that they're probably just going to have to go six or seven deep. And that's why I, the last few games, especially that Providence game, and that was something I wanted to ask you about, Rick. I see we have Adam in here, too, um, to talk about j- just kind of, you know, Cesar Edwards and some of this p- potential just past the seven guys. Once you get, you know, past Jerome, past, uh, you know, Desmond Claude and those guys, there is some depth there. But I didn't think Desmond Claude played very well at Providence. They like, played a little better at home against Butler. But now I, I just I just don't think this changes the ceiling of this team. I, I would agree. I don't think the ceiling has changed dramatically, uh, but it does change them on the offensive end for certain. And I do think the biggest concern becomes the depth at the post position. Cesar Edwards had a couple of really nice buckets in this game against Butler, but defensively, they are just not the same when he's out there. That's very clear. Teams are going right after him and Sule Boom and pick and rolls. And from a rebounding perspective, I mean, you're trading out Zach Fremantle, who is the best rebounder on your team, especially on the defensive end, to uh, when Jack Nungie comes out of the game, a guy in Cesar Edwards who that's been a weakness for him. And I mean, that just makes a big impact on your team, especially when you're talking about NCAA tournament games where the games are going to be decided by the slimmest of margins. Uh, That's a big deal when you can't finish off stops with a rebound. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to go to Adam here? Yeah. Let's bring Bauman and see uh, what he has to say about this news. Obviously he was the first one to tweet it out there. And Adam, um, Take us through kind of the news as it developed on your end. I know this is something that's been coming for a while and people are starting to catch wind of it. Uh, How did it happen from your perspective? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, you know, when you reach that four week timeline, you know, I'm at practice every day and, and Zach's not out there doing really anything. And, I think that that was the the biggest red flag in all of this is that, hey, if you're going to come back from this, if you're going to play in a game eventually, you you need to be out there testing it. You need to see how it feels. And there's a chance. I'm pretty sure that he did test it. I don't know if it was in like a public setting when they they have a media member there, but um, it sounds like he went through some stuff and it just didn't feel um, the way that they were hoping it was going to feel. And that that was ultimately where it was like, 
okay, this, this doesn't look like this is going to be – because you get to this point right now, and they're going to practice tomorrow. They're going to practice Tuesday. Um, they're going to practice Wednesday. And then it's like you might have three games in three days and then the NCAA tournament. So if you're not back by now, it's probably not a good sign that you're going to be available for the postseason. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing I kept thinking when we started hearing last week that, oh, he's going to start practicing middle of the week next week. It's like, well, they have a game against Providence on Wednesday and they play against Sunday against Butler. So not going to be a whole lot of real practicing going on. I mean, obviously you can put them on put him through some workouts on the side and things of that nature. But to your point, I mean, if he wasn't back for these practices, which were going to be pretty light days, then the writing was kind of on the wall at a certain point that he just wasn't feeling well enough to come back. Yeah. And and I agree with your, your previous points that, you know, you're clearly going to miss him. I think the biggest area where you miss him is, um, you know, he's such a talent. I think people forget like how good Zach Fremantle is around the basket on offense. I mean, how many times have we seen him in his career where he gets the ball inside 12, 10 feet, and it's almost like automatic a lot of times for him to finish. And then the depth piece, which is, in my opinion, the most concerning thing without him because even without him, this is a Xavier team that has still sort of maintained their offensive numbers. That They've gotten better defensively, but – We've started to see it, particularly in the last two games against Butler and against Providence, games that they were able to win, that uh, you get those big guys in foul trouble and, and things can get a little squirrely. So that that's going to be the biggest question mark going forward for this team is, and then God forbid, you know, you got to stay healthy from here on out. So th- that's really the, the predicament that Xavier is going to be in going forward. Well, and you talk about his offensive talent, and I think, that you saw in the Villanova game especially that they lost, and you saw even in the beginning minutes of the second half in this Butler game, that the success is so fragile for this team at times. And if they're not clicking, it can go south on them. And when you don't have a guy like Zach Fremantle, it's one less guy who can just get you out of that rut by getting you an easy basket. And that may be because he's able to go up in a crowd and and catch a high-low pass, that Jerome Hunter or Cesar Edwards isn't capable of catching, and then he's able to finish that. It may be because of what you were just talking about, that you throw it to him in isolation and he's eight to 10 feet from the basket and he just hit that little turnaround jumper over top of someone, and now you don't have that. He gave you that ability. And so while the offensive numbers have remained impressive and they can still do a lot of the same things that they could when they had him, you just lose that little extra piece that can get you out of those tough spots. And again, this is the time of year where that can really pay off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Adam, was there anything else? I mean, we'll leave you on here, but was there anything else that we didn't get to Um, just news notes, nuggets, anything that, that you had before the tournament? Just where, where are we drinking at on Tuesday? Well, see, that's the question. (laughs) I, I've been I've been spending a lot of time figuring that out. Are we are we kind of like taking it easy, or is it like is that not the situation? I think Tuesday's our opportunity. Um, oh. Honestly, well, then it sounds like we're all going to need to pick a spot, and we'll be there on Tuesday night. Hell yeah, about ten o'clock. Oh yeah. Okay. All here's right. what I, here's what I want to ask both of you guys about real quick. Colby Jones, the play over the last three games, he obviously had the Villanova game where he was two for 10 from the field, didn't play very well, wasn't very assertive. And when he was, it was just, 
it, he just wasn't right. It didn't seem like. And then ever since that game, he has been not only more aggressive on the offensive end, but he's been super efficient. He's just been blowing by guys in ball screen situations, getting to the basket, drawing fouls, all that type of stuff. And I just wonder, you go back to last year, the NIT is going on. Paul Scruggs goes down with the ACL injury. All of a sudden, we see Colby step up and really flourish and start carrying the team down the stretch. Do you think we're seeing something similar all of a sudden after he realized that Zach Fremantle isn't coming back? and someone else has to carry a little bit more of a load. Do you think like maybe there's something going on there, whether it be consciously or subconsciously with Colby, that's similar to last year and that maybe we're about to witness another great run from him? Yeah, I, I personally do. I think he looks more assertive. And, and to me, like I, we can talk all day about how much better he is shooting the ball this year from the three-point line. I think last year he was 29% from three, and this year he's 40%. But to me, the thing that I've noticed the most in these last three games is he's getting that little floater in around the basket and he's attacking the rim and finishing when he gets there. And then on top of it, there was a point where he was shooting like 45% in Big East play from the free throw line and he started to make his free throws again. I do think that that he, his mentality has changed in these last three games. And that's why I, I actually wrote about this today, like – if he can keep this up, Xavier's got like a significant one-two punch in the backcourt with him and Sule. Like you, you really have to pick your poison on you know one yes. of those dudes. I, I, it's going to be very hard for teams to stop both of them if they're playing even remotely close to the way they were playing at Providence. Like it, Adam, that is exactly the point I was getting at because that's what I've been saying. Xavier is missing with Zach Fremantle being away is you don't have defenses having to choose between him and Jack Nungy any longer. And they're not stuck making that really difficult decision of like, Hey, we really only have one great interior defender. Who are we going to put them on? Now it's like they're having to do that with perimeter players. Like uh, Providence had that situation with Devin Carter is like, you know, do you put them on Sule or Colby Jones? Okay. They put them on Colby Jones in the first half and Sule goes off and then they move him to Sule in the second half. And Colby goes off in the second half. So it's like, I, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. It's like, pick your poison now on the perimeter, just like it was inside with Jack and Zach a month ago. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys remember back in 2017 when Xavier made the Elite Eight and Edmund Sumner tore his ACL and everybody thought it was the end of the world? And then all of a sudden, it kind of became clear that Trayvon was the guy and there was no – there was no – you know, uh, indecisiveness about who the ball was going to and what situation. And Trayvon was hurt, and that team ended up being an 11 seed. But they weren't really an 11 seed. They just had the the resume of an 11 seed. And then all of a sudden down the stretch, they start playing at their peak level. They get hot. They start scoring the ball well, and they make the Elite Eight. Like, do you compare those two situations? Because I do a lot in my head. Um, I, I think they're fairly similar just in the sense of, you know, you, you lose somebody but still have the ceiling in the NCAA tournament that this team has. That so that was that was before my time. When when did Edmund go down? At what point that was season? that was at MSG in the I don't know, early January por, por, uh, portion of the season. I want to say it was uh it was like Jan I think it was January 29th, I think. Hold on, let me pull it up. Yeah, you know, I, I think Sunday, January 29th uh, of that year. So one day later. 
I think that matters. That, that's kind of wild. Yeah. You know, because I think Xavier's had a chance to, to figure some things out without Zach. It'd be a lot different if, like, this happened this week at Providence and, and they were in this situation now and now you're going into the postseason and you have to try to figure out how to play without Zach. Like, they've had some time now to, to acclimate – and and figure it out so i i don't I, i'd probably leave that up to rick if this is if this season is sort of a, an accurate comparison to that but i think that helps that they've had some time to deal with this yeah i mean i think the the one big difference is that year things got so bad i mean they lost six straight games while they were dealing with that and i mean they, they were really struggling at one point and then they got it back on track just in time to make that run so um it, i think different circumstances because this team is really kind of been able to figure those things out and make those adjustments without Zach while not giving up too much ground and not completely falling apart. Um, but I, I mean, I get where you're going with that. And I, and in terms of like, can this team put it together even without Zach and make a run to the elite eight? I definitely think that's still the case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure we were all on the same page because that's kind of where my thinking's been, but um, yeah, feels, yeah. feels fairly similar from that. All right. More. Go ahead. Emma, Emma, I never know how to pronounce it. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's it's Moore. Uh, okay. Uh, Moore 5150 is who he is. All right, Moore. Um, so how's it going, guys? It's uh, good, to, good to hear from you guys again. Um, I hate to hear about the situation with, uh, with Fremantle. Um, but uh, one, of the, one question then is about that situation. And I don't know if maybe you guys already talked about it because I was just able to just get on. Um, is this – probably guarantees him coming back would you agree i don't know if i would say guarantees maybe adam has more opinions on that but i I will give you the fact that if you're someone who is trying to make that jump to the professional level this is the least ideal circumstance now because you're not going to be recovered in time to showcase yourself for professional teams whether that be nba or otherwise and i mean you're going to be heading into next fall probably still kind of in recovery mode it, it would seem like it might be a great opportunity for zach to come back make some nil money and uh really showcase himself at full strength again next season but i can't speak to his plans i really don't know what he plans on doing i kind of look at it like maybe the situation that justin moore was in you know, where Justin Moore maybe thought that he was going to be able to leave, uh, you know, at the end of uh, last season, he was on a high. He was he was playing great ball, uh, you know, taking the team to the final four. Um, and then, you know, he blows out his, you know, Achilles and and then he decides to rehab, get all that paid for by the university. That's a whole that's another bonus. I think that you can look at is that Fremantle can yes. rehab um, at X uh, on their dime uh, and then come back. Uh, and play uh, next season. Uh, I think it's a win-win for us uh, if that's if that happens. I hate that he's not going to be with us uh, in the postseason. Uh, I really wanted to see him get his opportunity to uh, to to show show what he can do uh, in front of uh, you know all those people watching the tournament. Um, but uh, I'm also you know hoping that he's able to get you know to rehab this maybe get it behind him uh, and, uh, and and come back and, and be stronger than ever next year for us. That would be great. Um, 
Another point that I wanted to, to to bring up, and I just wanted to just hear what your thoughts were about this. I was just talking to a buddy of mine um, about uh, about this team and how just crazy it's been offensively uh, for this team. I I don't know if if you realize this, but every guy who started for this team has averaged double figures while starting. It's a good nugget. Huh. Yeah. So since, good since Jerome right Hunter has uh, been – Tell Bound to put that in one of his stories. Yeah, since, <laughs> since Jerome Hunter has been starting, he's averaging 10.2 points a game. And, of course, you know, I, Fremantle averaged – I can't didn't have that out there. Fremantle averaged 15. You know, uh, Colby Jones averages 15. We got 17 from Boom. And Kunkel is, is over 10 as well. I cannot even – wrap my head around the fact that this team from 365 days ago is, is doing what they're doing offensively. Uh, it just is, it's mind blowing. And I, you know, you just got to hats off to Sean Miller uh, for whatever system he's put in there. That's been different. Uh, and I think it has a lot more to do with just those guys really being told this is your role this is what you have to do. This is what's going to be successful for the team. And they've just rolled with it and they've all accepted it. Um, that's, that's gotta be the difference. But uh, I thought you guys would like that nugget. I'm going to, I'm going to get off here and listen to what everybody else has to say. Thanks again. Uh, you guys, you guys do such a great job. I appreciate it. Thank all you. Right. More. more appreciate that. First of all, uh, next time you come back, we'll be expecting another gem like that from a stat <laughs> perspective. So you just kind of, uh, change the price of your calls from now on. Also, um, I think his point about appreciating the regular season and this coaching job that Sean Miller and his staff have done is a good one. And, and I, I realize that everyone is pointing out, hey, Sean Miller is unbelievable. He's Look how he's turned this thing around. I, I realize that everyone appreciates that. But when you finally get to the end of the year and you look at what the record actually is and you see all these wins piled up, I mean, I go back to our preseason preview podcast, Paul. You yeah. had predicted 20 and 11 overall, 12 and 8 in conference play. I think I was 19 and 12 overall and 11 and 9 in conference play. And we thought that was kind of like an optimistic outlook and, and looking at, hey, Xavier's going to be back in the tournament this year. This is the start of uh, getting things back on track. And instead, they tied the school record for most wins in conference play ever. Yeah. With and, 15. And the other stat that I tweeted out last night uh, about the time it took to beat every Big East team, it took Chris Mack 52 games. It took Travis Steele 37 games. Now, both of them don't include UConn because they weren't in the conference by that point. But Sean Miller took him 20 games, and if he had beaten Butler, I mean, it, the first time they'd squeaked that out, would have taken him, you know, even shorter. So it goes to show – you know, Sean being back in the Big East, getting taking care of things in year one. And as so many people have pointed out, too, these aren't even his guys. Right. This isn't even his team. This is a team that he wanted and trusted after they did what they did last year and knew that he had some talent on this team and could do something with it and made the most of it. And now, you know, just think, too, the, the future of this team, too, if he can do this with the the roster that was assembled of of guys that are supremely talented. I mean, Colby Jones, potentially a first-round NBA draft pick, all the talent on this team, that's not in the slightest to take away from anything on this team. I'm just saying that, you know, who knows if if these guys would have been recruited by Sean Miller in the first place. But now all of a sudden, 
you get his guys in there too, and and who knows what happens. So uh, all all of that combined has given so many people so many reasons to be optimistic here going forward. Yeah. Um, I brought Doc in here. Doc, Doc Rock. Hey, hey guys. Uh, before we get to uh, some of the players and Zach and all that, first, how cool were the swords? Oh yeah, I think. That's oh my great god! Job. Oh my god! What is? is it, I mean, that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm clipping that. Oh my god! Said, sound effect right there. Oh my god! I want one of those hanging on my wall. If if, if Xavier sold them, they could sell them for ten thousand a piece. They're so fucking cool. I saw Kenny Freeze wanted one. Oh, I mean, I I want to touch one. I want to hold. I want one to stab me. Are we still talking about the sword stock? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So, so I get an amen on that, right? Amen. Yeah, I thought that was a great. Okay. All right. Now, I got to tell you, I'm really conflicted. You know, Uh, first of all, I'm very excited about going to New York, Madison Square Garden, and here's the thing, man. I'm an empath and this thing with Zach just, man, it's, I mean, it's hard, you know, if you're a real Xavier fan and you, you know, it's really hard to see the guy not get to play and have to go through this, uh, separate from how good we're going to do and all that, just the personal part of it. It's, it's, you know, it's tough, you know, for, for true fans, you know, yeah, well, I mean, because let's say, let's think back to last year, the Seton Hall game when he was getting booed inside the Cintas Center by Xavier fans. And now a year later, I mean, he was playing great basketball and everyone was really appreciating him and, and he was getting loved on from the fan base. So, I mean, to see him have that turnaround, you could see the change in his attitude. You could see the change in, in his effort and his discipline level and the way he was playing. And the fans really appreciated that this year. And that was one of the cooler storylines for this team in the season. And to see that and the, this way, just, it definitely sucks. Absolutely. Well, and, 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 and the other thing too, is thinking back to his preseason press conference, I think it was after the scrimmage and Adam, you had asked him about what this season meant for him and what he was looking forward to this year. And he went on and on for a couple of minutes about how much he was looking forward to winning a game in the big East tournament. Cause that was something he hadn't done and playing in the NCAA tournament because that was also something he hadn't done. And he laid out those expectations for himself, for the team, and what he wanted to accomplish this year. And he has repeatedly talked about that through the season. And now you get to the end of the year, and sure, he'll be there on the bench, but he's not going to be on the court, and he gets that opportunity taken away from him. And it is very disappointing to hear. Absolutely. You know, the – on the basketball side of it, I, all I can say is if I was an opposing coach going to play Xavier, I would say our first priority is to get that big jack guy in foul trouble. What do we got to do to get him in foul trouble? We got to get him off that court because we play significantly different and not as effective without him on the court. And I would think, any coach would say, go at him, go at him constantly. Don't you guys think? Well, and it makes it kind of easy for them, too, because the other thing they want to do most often is attack Sule Boom. And oftentimes they do that by putting him in ball screens. So what do you do? You have the center, who Jack Nungy is guarding, screen Sule Boom's man, and now you're attacking both of them. And you have your guard drive right at Jack Nungy trying to either hedge or drop 
drop in that coverage or whatever they're doing against the ball screens in that given matchup. That's exactly what happened in the game against Butler. I mean, you yeah. saw them go right after him, and, and 90 seconds into the second half, he gets in foul trouble, and you bring Cesar Edwards in. They just continue doing the same thing, and they're getting points at will. They score 23 points in a matter of eight minutes, and if that's a one-off, I'd look at that and say, well, you know, Jack got in a little bit of foul trouble there. They had to take him out of the game, and it was just kind of a, a weird circumstance that led to that. But the problem is that's not a one-off. We've seen this team yeah. have that same issue a bunch this year and you heard Sean Miller talk about it after the game. He was not happy at all with how his team played for that eight minute stretch in the second half. And, you know, on one hand, it's like they were great for 32. You won the game by 12 points. What is there really to be upset with? But I tend to agree with Sean that that eight minute stretch was bad enough that it will lose you a game in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. We definitely have an Achilles heel there, you know, (laughs) you know, uh, with that situation. I mean, we're, we're very vulnerable there. Uh, so it's going to be outscore them. You know, I mean, that's, 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 that's scary, you know, but we do see Edwards offensively a significant improvement, right? I mean, I've always thought that Cesar Edwards had a lot of talent as an offensive player. I really liked him as a prospect coming out. It just doesn't seem like he's adjusted to the speed of picking everything up at the Division One level through his first two seasons yet. I don't know if that's starting to come around a little bit more because it does seem like he's building some confidence, particularly on offense. But the, the problem is they don't really need his offense much. They need right. him to come in and be solid defensively and rebound. And he's not been very consistent at all in, in those two aspects. Yeah, I was watching him uh... – almost exclusively when he was in. And I, I was just focused on watching him. And one thing that was interesting is he's talking a lot on defense. Well, that's a good that, sign. I mean, because that, yeah, if, that really if, if you, surprised me. I yeah, if you can talk, it means you understand what's going on and you're able yeah. to think through it and communicate. A lot of times when you see a guy being silent out on defense, it's because he's thinking and in his head, he doesn't know what he's supposed to be saying. So a guy talking a lot is a very good sign that he's picking things up. Yeah, and uh, so Colby. Uh, and I, um, I totally agree with you guys. Is I mean, it's an exaggeration to say that nobody can stop him, but there, there's very few players in NCAA basketball that would be uh, assigned to guard him that can stop him. Would well, he's a guy who can go out and get his own. He yeah. doesn't. You don't have to run a play for right. him. Yeah. It can be one-on-one isolation. It can be a high ball screen, what have you. But you don't need a lot to get Colby Jones to the rim and, and able to draw a foul or finish through contact. And Xavier doesn't have a lot of that. Sule Boom obviously was one. Zach Fremantle was really one of the other guys who gave them that. So Colby Jones picking it up in that regard has been a, a big boost for Xavier without Zach. Absolutely. Is You think we'll see Cam? I, I mean, I think he's getting closer to being available. The problem is at this point, just like, where is his wind? Where, you know, is his head? Like, is he is he going to be productive at all? And in these games where it's win or go home, I just don't know how many minutes you can afford to to give him. Yeah, I mean, in the, yeah. yeah, when some of these games, five minutes, even five minutes that we haven't had from anybody would be helpful, you know. Anyway, I've taken enough of your time. I just want to say, for those of you that didn't see the post, the appreciation by double O, double zero. Uh, I, I guarantee you every person on here concurs with what was said. 
You're talking Paul, about on the musketeerreport.com message. Board. Absolutely. Yes. Paul, Adam, Rick, you guys have done such – and John Fanta, too. I bet, I'm glad he got a couple on there. You guys have done a fantastic job. I know I know. I appreciate it. Every Xavier fan I've talked to have said, we, you know, we have the royal flush with you guys. And thanks a lot. I love you. Well, well thank you, Doc. We're, we're very happy to have you, too. Thank I love Doc. you too, Doc. Doc. Doc, when are you getting to New York, Doc? I'm getting in Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm getting in Tuesday. I'll probably uh, hit the gentlemen's clubs first. Yeah, <laughs> Doc. I'll take a big roll, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be in bed by ten o'clock. But you guys have fun. <laughs> Adam, uh, I saw you. I saw you turn on your mic when he started talking about Cam Craft. Did you have something you wanted to chime in with there? Yeah, yeah. So I followed Sean off the podium last night after the game, and I asked him about Cam because Cam went through shoot around before the game. He practiced a little bit the day before the Butler game. And basically the plan with him is to get him back into live action tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and just get him in that competitive setting again and see how it feels. And hopefully he would be another guy who's available for the Big East tournament. Because I don't know if we talked about this or or if it came up on your message board or not, but um, I think Sean mentioned it in a press conference. Like when Cam went down in practice – I, I thought that he blew out his entire knee. Like, it was one of the more uncomfortable things I've ever seen at a Xavier practice. And apparently, um, I don't know the specifics, but it was like, you know, it might have been like a dislocated kneecap or something like that, that, that you know, I think Jonah Williams had that in the Bengals season and was able to, like, come back from it. But it was like, uh, I think everyone in the, the entire gym thought he was done. So... It's a, it was a pretty serious thing when it happened, but hopefully he's back for the Big East tournament and he can give them, you know, five or six minutes if needed to just give some of those other guards a break. Uh, do we? And I, I may have missed this. What is the what's Kiki's status, Adam? Yeah, they haven't announced anything yet, but he has not. Basically, I haven't seen him without the boot on since the DePaul game. So. I I think th- at this point I would be prepared for Kiki to not be back, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay. Thanks, Doc. Um, I know I see you still on here. We're going to go to – all right. Big East Tournament attendee, you're up. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rick. How's it going? Great. What's going hey, on? Um, well, it's a bummer about uh, Fremantle, but I guess I wasn't too surprised to hear it just kind of reading between the lines and all the posts you've had and the way Sean was talking in the press conferences. But uh, I live up here in New York, so to say uh, I'm very excited about this week, to say the least. Um, and, you know, after the Villanova game I, and um, that we lost, and then even after the game yesterday, I saw someone on the message board saying, like, we should take it easy, maybe essentially say just lose the first round of the Big East tournament. And... I just like that is just crazy to me that people think that way, and because uh, you all you've been up here before, Rick. I mean, it's I mean it's it's one of the best uh, things in sports that I've ever been to is the Big East tournament. To make it to the Friday semifinal game is the best atmosphere uh, that I've ever been to for a sporting event. I don't know what you guys think, but 
Look, there there is a reason that there was a legitimate question of people asking, would you rather win the Big East tournament or go to, you know, the second round of the NCAA tournament? And while I think 90% of people would say you want to advance as far in the NCAA tournament as you can, there is just something special about the best conference tournament at the best arena in sports. It doesn't matter the teams, you know, everybody said, oh, just because of realignment, it doesn't have the same aura, whatever. If you haven't been there and you don't know, there is just absolutely nothing like when that public address announcer gets up there and says, welcome to a sold out Madison Square Garden and the lights start flashing and everybody stands up and they dim the lights and then they do the starting lineups and everything else. I mean, there is just nothing like that in college basketball through the entire week. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the thought of the thought of going up there and, and resting anybody is just not even remotely on the horizon. Yeah, I don't see anything like that happening, and I don't see any of them taking that approach of like, oh, this isn't a big deal, or who cares if we win this or not, we'd like to get the rest. That's not how any of them are going to approach it. Uh, At the same time, I am curious to hear from other fans, like, how excited are you for the Big East tournament with this team? Because um, I do think there is somewhat of a feel of like, I'm kind of tired of playing Big East teams from some of the fans. Like I, I get that sense of like, hey, these Big East teams have seen enough of our offense now. They're starting to have a, a little better answer for it. And these these rough tumble Big East games, like it's exciting to think about getting beyond that and just moving on to the NCAA tournament and playing the team that hasn't faced our offense yet, isn't prepared for what that looks like and and that sort of thing. So I am curious to hear from some of the other fans because – I agree with you that I've kind of heard the sentiment of like who cares about the Big East tournament or it's not that big of a deal. And uh, I do find that to be somewhat curious, although I I, I can kind of see that argument, I guess. I actually I I have a point on this and, you know, I I think it's been well documented. I've talked about it often that this is my fifth year covering Xavier and you want to go down memory lane with the Big East tournament in the last four years (laughs) and just think about think about what's happened to Xavier and I'll tell you why this year should be important. Travis's first year, they came a Brian O'Connell charge call away from making it to the big East championship game. Um, Year two, they lose to DePaul on the first night, the night when basically COVID got Tom Hanks and Rudy Gobert (laughs) year three. In an, basically an empty Madison Square Garden arena, they had a huge halftime lead on Butler, gave it up, and lose. Year four, we all know what happened last year. I was sitting there on the baseline at Madison Square Garden. They were up 66 to 60 with 50 seconds left. I turned to the reporter next to me, and I swear to God I said this. I said, I can't wait to come back here tomorrow and cover another game. And they fucking lost that game. So that to me, that right there <laughs> is why this tournament should be important to Xavier fans. Like you've had to go through that the last four years. Why on God's green earth would you not care about what's about to happen this week? Like it, I, I know it's not the, it's not going to make or break your season, but you should be excited about the possibility of putting some good basketball together and getting to play as many games as you possibly can in that arena, in front of those crowds. I mean, Gus Johnson is calling Xavier's game with Bill Raftery on Thursday night. How awesome is that? Like, the, this is this is the coolest time of year. Like, I can't imagine someone saying, 
that they should take it easy or they shouldn't be upset if if they lose right away like that's the wrong way of thinking in my opinion yeah well i mean it's it, it, gone are the days of playing temple and umass and saint joe's on your way to a, you know in a half filled gym somewhere for an a10 championship you like mean a gym winning that's on fire <laughs> yeah. smoke coming in <laughs> winning the big east is fun you're playing big time games in a big time atmosphere this is what the whole move up was about so yeah i i agree that uh, to me it's just like it's fun to win games and games that matter and games that are of national relevance and that's what all of the big east tournament games are i I remember sitting there last year, and I see him in this chat, Trevor Fontan. He's Xavier's assistant director for marketing. We were sitting there together last year, and, and I was sitting in the just last Just doxing people left and right, Fritchner. Jeez. Well, he's, he's there. He, he knows. He's, he's in here listening. And he, uh, he and I were sitting there next to each other last year. I was in the last row of the media section, and, and I saw Adam over there across the court. We're all sitting there watching. And I remember at the under four time out of the game, and Adam, your story made me think of this. At the under four timeout, when it was a close game with Butler, I remember leaning over to Trevor and saying to him that those were the most most important four minutes of Xavier basketball, and maybe as far as I could remember in a in a very long time in the history of the program, because it felt like to me if they didn't win that game, you know, who knows what was going to happen with Travis and were they going to make the tournament, go to the NIT, whatever happened, they end up losing the game. Trevor and I probably took an hour until he and I actually talked to each other again and figured out recollected ourselves and figured out what was going on. And it was just a, uh, it was just a surreal scene. And now to think back to this year now where, and I've said this stat before up until 2019, Xavier was the only team in the big East since realignment through the first six years that had made the semifinals every single year. Even Villanova lost their first game after realignment, they lost to Seton hall. They were the only team that was a guarantee on Friday night, and now they're the they're the team that has gone the longest without a win by a matter of hours. But they're the team that's gone the longest without a win, and that's just that's just not where this program is. That's not a, a it, the Big East tournament is such a point of pride for being in the for being in this conference and for winning it, and for Sean Miller having played in this conference and everything. It's just. You know, I, I know we've spent a while on this point, but I think it really does drive home for the people that are going and that are going to be in the building or even watching from home to appreciate it. It's just so, so special. So, yeah, And we haven't won one since 2006. So I would well, like to win one of these again. As somebody pointed out on Thanks, the message, as somebody pointed out on the message board, uh, no team west of the Appalachian Mountains has ever won the Big East tournament besides Louisville before conference realignment. So. It would be something either way. If Marquette was in it and Xavier or Creighton were in it um, on the other side of the bracket, it, it would be history from that perspective. So, all right. Thank you, uh, future Big East Tournament. Are you a future Big East Tournament attendee this year? Or... Oh, yeah. I'll be there. I live in uh, Brooklyn. So Great. Perfect. We'll see you there. All right. We are going to bring in somebody who has quickly risen up the Musketeer Report caller power rankings, uh, Paula. Hi, guys. Hello, Paula. How Good. are you? Um, I'm just excited we're not playing Wednesday. I think that's what I'm uh, most excited about this year is uh, we have finally made it uh, to where we're playing Thursday. But I think Adam's like 100% right um, in terms of this tournament is really exciting. And, 
you know, this fan base used to be really excited and build up for the Big East tournament and to sit there and say, like, hey, maybe we should lose a game to that's ridiculous. You want to be playing your best basketball in February and March and you, you can't be like picking and choosing where you where you win and where you lose. Um and you know, this was a fan base too that when Chris Mack gave, left for Louisville, we gave him a little bit of a hard time for never winning the Big East tournament, right? We kind of said, oh, you never won the Big East tournament, so how good are you really? Um, but just the fact that, you know, we can go into the Big East tournament not counting, like, how many games we need to win? Okay, are we in or are we out? You know, do we need to be one? Do we need to? That we know we're going to show up on a bracket line on Sunday again is it's going to be great. It's going to be great, right? Like watching those games on Thursday and Friday, that first week in the NCAA tournament, there's nothing like it. And to be involved again and watching again, you know, for a program that for a long time was in the NCAA tournament every year. And I think, you know, maybe took it a little bit bit for granted after what happened the last four years to know that uh, we're going to be able to get pencils ready on Sunday and put our name in and be playing in that first weekend. Um, is definitely something I think uh, I'm looking forward to. Well, Paul, I just want you to picture this. One week from right now, it's 9.59 p.m. on Sunday night, and we are two and a half hours removed from figuring out where Xavier will be in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And that is something that we have not been able to say for five years. Yes. I mean, I started dating my girl. I, I started dating my girlfriend about two months before – they made the NCAA tournament for the last time. And I texted her that the other day. I said, do you realize the entire time we've been dating, it was about two months into it that she that they made the tournament. And now five years later, five years since we've heard that name called, it's it's incredible. It's Paul, crazy. Paul, are you blaming your girlfriend for the fact that Xavier hasn't? Uh, I'm not. I'm, not I'm absolutely not saying that. And I would say I did make sure she was not in here listening so she didn't catch any strays on that one. No, I would never. I actually have been accused of being the curse um, because <laughs> my my first four years covering Xavier, they missed the tournament. So no one's as happy as I am to put that behind me. So I'm I'm excited. <laughs> Baum, are you on the hot seat? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I I would have been if if things didn't go well this year. I think Xavier fans they would have come to this conclusion eventually that uh, that I might be the weak link. Uh-oh. We could get you a job as being the beat writer for Miami, couldn't we? <laughs> I don't the the Enquirer. I don't know that their their readership cares all that much about what's going on in Miami, but Baum, I, I only say this because I, I know what it's like to work for Gannett, but I think you're always on the hot seat to some extent, buddy. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, right. um, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I just I just know the way that company operates. I'm just saying, I, I love you to death, yeah. and it has nothing to do with your work, but. Uh, just just the reality you never know when they're just going to make another round of cuts that's all uh yeah. can i ask you guys a serious question though <laughs> would you rather face depaul or seton hall without Kadari richmond if he doesn't come back hmm. i i i have a like i would rather them have seton hall just because of what happened at the end of the last game i, I think it for entertainment that. value um I, and plus like I think Sule Boom may just want to like bury Seton Hall right underneath the Madison Square Garden floor. So that would be pretty entertaining. Great storyline and great atmosphere too. Yeah. 
I was going to say we need another handshake between Sean and uh, uh, the head coach of Seton Hall, whose name is escaping me right Seton now. Hall yeah. Seton yeah, Hall we, yeah, we need it. We Adam's really right. We, we need another handshake. We we don't have that type of intrigue with DePaul. Sorry, DePaul. Uh, I'm Seton all in Hall. on that. Who who I'm all it had to be the Big East coach that did not vote for Sule on the first team all cut. Like who else would have voted? Not voted for Sule. The only thing is there are a few coaches who watched their guards go off for career nights against Sule. Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, it is possible where I could have seen someone else having that opinion just genuinely because, you know, for whatever reason, they they caught him on the right night or or wrong night in Xavier's case. Um, But, I mean, going back to the matchup thing, I do think it's a legit question, although – Having seen Seton Hall beat Providence 82-58 without Richmond this weekend kind of changes things a little bit. And it's like, well, I guess Seton Hall is ultimately more scary because they're better coached, they're more disciplined, they still care a lot more, I think, than DePaul does. But uh, a Gibson for DePaul, I mean, that dude put 10 threes on Xavier in two games. Yeah. Yeah, I think from like a matchup standpoint, if Seton Hall doesn't have Kadari Richmond – they're not as scary to me. And they do have, like, size and toughness and physicality and a lot of athleticism. But, like, DePaul has some dudes that, that I just feel like you saw it in that first game in particular. They can burn Xavier a little bit if they get hot and Xavier's not, like, ready to defend. So it is certainly a fair question. You know, I do, I do see my girlfriend in this space right now. This might be the first time she's listened all season. So her ears were clearly burning when uh, I made that comment. And no, it was not her fault. But Bauma, Bauma, I, I think all the demons have been exercised this year, right? Yes, they yeah. have. Yes, absolutely. Paul, do we want to publicly bring up how – what a shameful effort you had at the game yesterday, throwing me, okay. trying to hit me with this the ball. This is going to sound like a terrible excuse. <laughs> this is going to sound like a terrible excuse, but it's the truth, and everybody in here is just going to have to believe me. I can't believe they did this to me, but on the last day, so Sean Weisgerber, who is the bald cheerleader, um, I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last few years. And Taught you everything you know about throwing the balls. Well, that is exactly right. And so he texted me uh, yesterday afternoon. And I, I have told him he has a standing invite if he ever wants to come down and uh, and help me out with that. And so, you know, the IU game, I, I texted him to come down. And yesterday afternoon, he texted me and said, hey, you know, I'll be there tonight. What do you think? Can we uh, can I get down there? I said, hey, man, you any time is your time to shine. And so he came down. It was a different foam. It was it was like a sponge foam. Usually they're okay. Bear with me here, but usually they're hard. There was a sponge foam. You couldn't even get a hold of it. So I took it was. You know what happened, Adam? I practiced all sixteen games, and then I got to the seventeenth game, and it was a completely different material, and I was sabotaged on the last night. Yeah, you shorted me. You can't. The first the first attempt was like five rows beneath me the second t- attempt you overcorrected and you sailed it over um but we'll we'll make amends for this next year i will practice all offseason bound to get you a ball next year because it was a poor effort and i had practiced all year to get you one in the last game and then they come out with this new it's the, it's the you know what it was it's the dead ball era of the joseph auto group ball talk. That's what it is. <laughs> the live ball era it just died they took the juice out of it no fun league. Yeah. I'm sure the Joseph Auto Group is thrilled with you slandering their uh, good name. <laughs> I love the Joseph Auto Group, but whoever ordered them, whoever did that was, it was just tough. 
It was tough. But I'm I'm Joseph Auto Group is my uh you know, they're my boys. All right. All right. Paul, well, Paul, are you what... going to the big... Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Paul. No, I you was go. just gonna ask, are you going to the Big East tournament? I am not uh, going to the Big East tournament. No. Okay. Okay. Pa- Paula, were you surprised at all by your uh new celebrity on the message board? A little bit. Um, I had someone I uh, went to school with uh, let me know about my new celebrity. But yes, I was uh, surprised that someone who has rational thoughts about sports is now a celebrity in the year 2023. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, that was a good response. But I mean, the people were right. You you always uh, bring the heat on these calls and we appreciate you checking in. So thank you for doing that. Let's go ahead and Go to Jerome Hunter Fan Club, and uh, I don't see any other people on the line. So this I, have could be a, a, I have a bunch lined up, Rick. So you do? Yeah, I have five. This is wild. People. I have five people waiting, so we can we can roll through these here. Jerome Hunter Fan Club, go ahead. First and foremost, all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Amen. You know, we haven't talked about this, and I know you had mentioned this a little bit. You know, during the whole process of Zach being out and sort of the shadiness from Coach Miller about how he's wording things. Now that it's officially out, how do you think this impacts where the selection committee sees us? I would think that we're still pretty firmly on the four seed line, but I think, if anything, if this would impact him being out, I think it makes getting to the three seed a lot harder than it already was. Well, yeah, I think the only th- the only way that would have impacted Xavier is if he came back and then they would go back and look at Okay, those three losses all by a few points without Zach Fremantle, they may not penalize Xavier as much as they otherwise would for him. So basically, without Zach coming back, Xavier's resume is what it is right now. And that resume has them sitting as the second four seed, according to Bracket Matrix currently. I find it hard to see a path to them getting up to the three seed line, despite it only being two spots on the S curve. I just think when you look at most of those teams that are immediately above them, they don't have the bad losses that Xavier has and their metrics. They're usually like, uh, you know, Tennessee, for example, is way up there, like top five in net. And uh, I think Ken Palm as well. So uh, those are those are some of the things that I think will will make it hard for Xavier to move up a seed line. But I, I, in terms of like how Zach being out impacts their resume, it doesn't change anything right now. What you see is how the committee is going to judge Xavier just on the 15 and five record they had in conference play. They're 13 quad one quad two wins, those types of things. It makes sense. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I, I don't think it was going to have much of an impact. I think it already made just getting up to a higher seed practically impossible at this point. Cause I think, getting to the three seed, you were going to need basically miracles from every angle. So I think it just solidified what we already knew. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is like, people will be like, well, what if so-and-so loses? And it's like, well, they're probably going to be losing a, like a quad one game, maybe a quad two at best, because it's going to be on a neutral floor. And we're talking about mostly high major teams playing in their conference tournaments. A lot of them have a buy. So we're, they're like already into the quarterfinals. I mean, just the nature of it, they're probably not going to do enough damage to really fall down and and the committee has shown in the past that they really don't put a lot of stock into what happens in conference tournaments yeah and if you look at like for example UConn who is one spot on the S curve above Xavier right now 
if they lost to Providence on day one, that's a quad one loss, right? I mean, literally right this second, it's quad two, but they're at 51. That win, you would think, would bump them up to a quad one win uh, or a quad one you know, loss for UConn. So from that perspective, it's not like they're losing to DePaul or to Georgetown or one of those, you know? Yeah, UConn's one team who you could maybe see Xavier moving up in front of, but the problem with UConn is it's like they're sixth in net. They're way up in Ken Palm, too. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but fourth. yeah, fourth, fourth in Ken Palm. So it's like, it, it's just, I, I can't see a scenario in, in which people are go, not going to make Xavier jump over UConn when those pretty simple metrics that you look at some of the first things would all seem to point to UConn being the more favorable team, and they've been ahead of Xavier this long. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to follow up with that because I know, I just didn't know from a selection committee standpoint, do they value more, especially having them be so close in terms of where they're going to end up on the seed line? Are they going to value the fact that Xavier's being the both times? Or are you going to value just the straight resume? And I think, I mean, you make a good point. So I think head to head has to factor into it to, in some regard. And that's really the one argument you have as a Xavier fan. It's like, well, look, they beat them twice. Doesn't that count for anything? And it definitely should. Um, but Xavier hasn't moved in front of them already, according to most bracketologists. And, they have, they'd already beaten them twice. That, that isn't a new thing. That isn't a new piece of information. So if they weren't already in front of UConn, I don't really see a way in which a loss on a neutral court to Providence would, would change that. Um, all right, Jerome, do you have anything else? Is that it? That, that's all I got to say, guys. Thanks all for right. the great work. Let's Thanks. go, Jerome. Let's go, Wax. We got this. All right. Uh, I'm going to bring in John Carter here, and for those of you that are listening that are familiar with the spaces, this is the same John Carter of the 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. or 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. NIT question last year from the game time. So I hope we get John in here because that was one of the best calls of all time in a Twitter space. (laughs) Can can you hear me? Yeah, John, just to be clear, if you're going to ask, I mean, the game's at 7 p.m. So on Thursday. I can't believe you guys still remember that. Are we sure about that? (laughs) All right. Hey, guys. uh, Thanks for for letting me in. I'm glad you still remember my ridiculous question from last year. Um, For anybody who's on here and didn't get the privilege to laugh at me about that, I asked, what was it, the game started? We had an 8 o'clock game, and I asked, does it start at 8 a.m. or at 8 p.m.? Hey, you weren't familiar with the NIT. You're a winner, John. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I was just thinking back. You know, before you let me on uh, last year, we were, you know, the host Sean Miller and Travis Steele scenario played through, and you guys, uh, you know, kept us informed, and it was really exciting. And and then we had to wait, you know, all summer long. What what's going to happen? And man, Sean Miller is a fucking badass. Uh, <laughs> he is, he is so fucking smart. I mean, I, I don't guess I paid enough attention, you know, to him uh, when he was at Arizona or previously with Xavier. But he is, he's just done so much in one year, and and I'm just so so excited to keep going, you know, and, and what what might come, but. Um, I was going to ask uh, you guys that you know, I have never been to the Big East tournament. Um, it's probably going to be a last uh, a last minute decision, maybe on Thursday or Friday, if I just can pull the trigger and go. 
uh, I, I am signed up. However, if if they do um, Sweet Six Sixteen, which which I'm looking, it looks like we would be in Vegas. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, well, I, I don't I don't know. There, if there's I... still a lot to be yeah. decided to get to that point. Mm. Yeah. But tell us, like, like for you guys that have been to to Madison Square Garden to New York. Um, so does does Xavier have to go um, on Wednesday? Because I know they do a lot of photo shoots and, and they get all the media stuff done. Um, you know, for the program, does Xavier have have to go up on Wednesday anyway, or Tuesday, or can they wait till Thursday? Um, Xavier will Xavier will travel on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yep. And then, do you d- does you or Adam? I, I'm, I'm, from what I understand, you guys just go commercial. Do you not get the opportunity to, to travel with the team? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I work with the Big East for the Big East tournament. So I fly commercial on Tuesday afternoon, and then I am there all ten games for the Big East tournament, regardless of how Xavier performs. Uh-huh. And then I will probably be with Xavier in the NCAA tournament, similar to how I worked with Villanova last year, but I'm not hundred percent on that yet. So we'll, we'll see, but Adams, I mean, Adam, you can go ahead. Yeah. I, I travel independently. So I'm, I'm on he just my puts own. on his cape. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I rack up those sky miles and those Marriott points, baby. So cool. Yeah. But um, Xavier, Xavier will be there on Tuesday, like Paul said. And then on Wednesday, there's awards at Madison Square Garden, um, so there's a chance that like a Xavier player could win an award. I forget all the awards that are announced on Wednesday. It's like there's like a few, a handful of them that get announced, and then Xavier, the the Big East and Fox, they do like this promo thing where like a few Xavier players will show up and they'll get they'll be a part of a video shoot to accompany the Big East tournament, and then I think they're practicing at a local college in new york on wednesday so yeah yeah well um sucks about zach freeman but after uh you know the guy you had on earlier brought some good perspective to it uh, we definitely would want to have him you know but you know um cesar edwards and jerome hunter have, have really stepped up i really like watching both of those i, I like to watch those guys and how they've They've really improved, you know, and and hopefully got some some confidence and and Sean Miller to to lean on them when we need them. Um, but we're sitting good, uh, so I'm 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 happy with the way this season has went and uh, looking for a bright future. Thank you for for having me. Thanks, John. All right, we're gonna go to I see I have four more in the uh, requests. Um, Q here, Rick, just so you know. Jeez, I hope two of them don't work or something. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, go ahead. Hey, what's going on, fellas? How are we we doing? Doing all right, doing all right. First off, I want to actually be on Paul's side here for a second. The ball that I actually ended up falling in my hand, the Joe's Father Group ball, it's the squishiest one I've actually ever had. So I can't. There we go. See, see. 
Look, why don't you guys just thank the Joseph Auto group that Sean Miller is back, all right? Quit worrying about what type of balls are being thrown out at the game. Yeah, hey, 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 you're right there. And actually, it's funny you say that, Rick. (laughs) Uh, I actually – my question is uh, with Sean, and I'm starting to think, you know, obviously the Seamus shove out of nowhere was absolutely just – I don't know what that was. But starting to watch the last four or five games – is Xavier starting to be one of the most hated teams in the league, or what's going on with that? Like, including with Sean Miller into it. I mean, it just feels like a lot of people, a lot of teams have just, I don't know if it's just physicality or whatnot, but they just, like, doesn't look well, like other fan bases like us, I guess. I don't know. People don't like people don't like winners. That's right. That's fair. This is true. Remember when Xavier was good last time? I mean, granted, J.P. McCura was on that team, so it did blur the lines a little bit about what that hatred was all about. Right. But – most of that was because Xavier was good. If Xavier was 500, like people wouldn't have liked J.P. McCarrow, but he wouldn't have been hated the way he was. And that team, you know, the whole zip them up thing and all of that. I mean, yeah, Xavier's back. They're doing what they do. They're talking a lot. They're doing the whole zip them up thing after every game. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, t- people are starting to not like them again. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I just realized how dumb of a question that really was after I really kind of spoke it out loud. But <laughs> You know, no, I mean, I think it's worth it's a worth it's a talking point though. Like, I don't think you're wrong about the fact that you're starting to see people get pretty chippy with them. You're starting to see things get a little more intense. Part of that's just because the season's ramping up and they've played some some pretty important games down the stretch. But part of it is definitely what you're talking about, which is, uh, yeah, the teams aren't exactly in love with them right now. All right. Okay. Well, the last thing I have before I hop off here, um, is there any possible way we can go? Thursday, Friday, and Saturday after and playing three straight Big East games without um, Brian O'Connell on any of our games, or is that just out of is that is that? I'm going to say the chances are low because I think he'll be there, but I think he does. He also do the Big Ten. I, I'm I I would say the chances are low that you avoid him all three days though. Uh, Jeff Anderson too is he going to be there all weekend? That I don't know. Jeez. I, I don't know what tournament he gets assigned to. Uh, that's I, I know I know Brian O'Connell, um, James Breeding, they're usually Tony Chiazza, those guys are usually at the Big East. That's that's fantastic. Love to hear that, Paul. Well, you know, I actually when you, I mean, then you mentioned the Big Ten tournament. I've watched a, for whatever reason, since they're on Fox all the time, I watch Big Ten games. I take X over ninety five percent of, of all Big Ten teams. I, I I that's just my my perspective. Don't think they can guard us, but you know who cares. Well, the big the Big Ten is going to do that thing again, where they get ninety percent of the conference in, and then maybe two teams into the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Well, you know, uh, good luck to your Norse tomorrow, or our Norse kind of half Norse tomorrow there, Rick. And uh, let's uh, let's see some winners next weekend. Hey, they're all our Norse. I appreciate all the Xavier fans that showed up to uh, Truist Arena on Thursday night and cheered the Norse on. There, there weren't a lot of people, but I think half of you were probably Xavier fans. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Yes, sir. Um, here, I'm going to bring in Musketeer Commenter. Um, and also, just to get back to um, that point right there about the officiating, uh, I pulled up the last few years. Brian O'Connell has been at the Big East tournament every year. So um, I, I think that it is a safe assumption. Now, whether he gets assigned, it, they, the reps get assigned by game, not by session. So um, just because you see him in one game doesn't mean he'd be in the other game. But um, – Anyway, go ahead, uh, Musketeer. Who is this? Musketeer commenter, 55. Go hey, ahead. thanks, Paul. Um, I just want to echo what Adam and you guys said earlier about the Big East tournament. Uh, 
we shouldn't be going in there like looking for rest or anything. And I was at the DePaul game in 2020 and that, that really sucked. So I just really want to go there to kick some teeth in this week. Um, and we got a championship to defend because we were champions on that floor last March. People forget that we won the NIT. So that's all I got. I just want to thank you guys. Thank you, Musketeer. Um, I see uh, just because I have some people asking about it, um, it, just from Twitter, asking what the situation is for Xavier folks to kind of meet up in the Big East tournament. The keg room, which is a few blocks north of Madison Square Garden, is where everybody goes and meets up. That's kind of the Xavier Central, Xavier fans bar. But there's also, I mean, there's plenty of other spaces I know that that fans will generally through social media kind of connect through and find, but the keg room is the one that people will gravitate towards from, uh, from a Xavier bar uh, perspective there. All right, Rick, I actually have a legitimate question for you. Where, where do you think the odds are that Xavier ends up in the first round? Like I've seen Orlando and Greensboro might be the front runners. What do you think? I, I honestly don't know. I'm not, I'm not good at judging that stuff. Uh, Fritchner's probably looked into it more than I have, but my thought when I looked at it was Orlando. Yeah, I, I think the I, I would kind of be surprised at this point if it's not Orlando, but I think Greensboro is the is the uh, I don't know number two. I guess Greensboro it wasn't wasn't oh, Xavier in Greensboro for the NCAA tournament before, if I'm not mistaken. They've played there. I don't remember which one. it Was that the year that they beat Lehigh? Was that I think Greensboro? they played – didn't they play Notre Dame there maybe or – Yeah, well, yeah, that would have been the same year. Same year, Notre yeah. Dame okay. In round one and then in round two they beat uh, Lehigh. I, I was, was just, just talking – I was just talking about that actually today at the high school event. One of the managers – I was working with one of the managers from that Xavier team and he was saying how they packed the white jerseys for that tournament – and they thought, man, it's going to be great if Xavier has to wear these white jerseys because that means we're playing Lehigh and we're going to the Sweet 16. And what do you know? They went back to their hotel room after the game and guess what? Break out those white jerseys. Chip, what you got right. for us? Yeah, that was Chip. that was the year they lost to highlighter yellow Baylor in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I was there. That was in Atlanta. That was brutal. Yeah. Uh, stop me if you talked about this already, but Shaheen Holloway letting his players shoot threes early in the shot clock up 26 on Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, see, the, well, this is what I'm talking about. It was never about that. There's no way it was ever about right because it'd be an absurd thing to be upset. about. Now, if it's Greensboro, I got my bachelor party happening in Asheville. So I might be just driving from Asheville to Greensboro rounds. Ah, oh, congrats on the, uh, Engagement. On the nuptials, yeah, yeah. Are, is there an open invitation to your bachelor party, or <laughs> yeah, everybody <laughs> in here? <laughs> meet up. What about just me, Baum, and Fritchner? Yeah, you guys are more than welcome. We're going to. Right. We'll be in Asheville. Maybe we'll caravan over to Greensboro. I haven't looked to see what the drive is, but I know. I mean, Asheville's west, North Carolina, Greensboro, more central. So, if they, Asheville if they is up, in, go if ahead. They are in Greensboro. I will be driving. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Asheville is a primo bachelor spot. That is such a veteran call right there. Oh, it's, we were talking Vegas, thinking like, oh, Vegas first weekend, but then but that turns into like a $6,000 a month for a lot of people traveling to Vegas and then having yep. to travel back to Cincinnati for the wedding. So 
Asheville is uh, just a great call. Yeah, do some first uh, first to ten bets and uh, hang out and watch some college basketball. It's gonna be a good time. There, there go. you go. Enjoy it, Chip. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Chip. Today, appreciate you guys doing this uh, all year. Looking forward to keeping it up through the postseason. Definitely, yeah. we'll be doing it. All right, uh, Doc Rock. He wants back in, and I don't have anybody else after Doc. So, Doc, uh, you're up. Make this quick, Doc. Uh, I'm going to make it quick. Yeah. it's about uh, it's about defense. And uh, I've been watching a lot of the games. I stay up all night watching games because I'm crazy. It seems like we're being a lot more handsy on the perimeter. Uh, you know, uh, Sean wanted to pick the guys up closer to midcourt than closer to the foul line. But it seems like they're playing a lot more hands on the, on the off- offense, more trying to t- just much more aggressive on the perimeter. Have you guys noticed that? And I think that's a big factor on why our defense is better and not so worried about if the guard beats the guy or not, because I think they figured out how to make up for that, uh, you know, on a, on a, on a backup defense. Does that, does that make sense to anybody? Anyway, that's it. Coach doc. Yeah. Coach doc, you nailed it, man. I think they uh, definitely are playing more physical on the perimeter. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So, uh, I think that's a good place to leave. We don't have any more calls, do we, Paul? No, the only question that I saw that we hadn't gotten to was, could Nunji come back? Will NIL be a factor? He absolutely can. Will he? Um, I don't know. But that was the only one that I saw that we hadn't gotten to. Yeah, and, I would say just because he walked, though, doesn't rule anything out. I think yeah. there's still a decision to be made there, and I'm not sure it's been decided 100% one way or the other, even even from Jack's side of things. Yeah. Okay, Rick. Uh, anything else we haven't gotten to? Uh, no. I mean, do you have? Uh, uh, we we talked about facing DePaul or Seton Hall. Let me ask you the the next question. Would you prefer Creighton or Villanova in the semis? I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say Villanova. I think so too. Yeah, I think Creighton's the toughest matchup for Xavier personally. I I, I just do we want to take Yuli's call? No. I promised him we would get him on. Can we give him 10 seconds? I guess. I mean, we, he right. waited an hour and a half. He waited two hours the other night, and I didn't get him on. He's been uh, – he's not in the country. I promised him I would give him 10 seconds. All if he's right. here, go ahead, Yuli. Make it quick, though. Uh, I, I don't know. I was just going to sit here and take whatever trash talk you wanted to give me because you guys won fair and square. <laughs> I mean – No trash talk, Yuli, but I do – Yeah, not from us. Home. That would be from, like, uh, Jerome Hunter fan club. You missed that part of this program. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. all these boos. Okay, I need I need opinions on that flagrant foul. Was it really a flagrant or was that a soft call? On the on the, on on the flagrant one that Butler got. Uh, I don't even remember what it was for. I don't even remember it. With Chuck Harris oh. and Sule Boom, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely oh. was. Huge flagrant one. Absolute flagrant one. You all are cheaters. Thad Mod is running a dirty program. See you, Yoli. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, another great episode of the Musketeer Report podcast live here on Twitter Spaces. Um, Paul, you will be flying out tomorrow or no, uh, I, Tuesday. I will be there Tuesday. Yeah. So we, um, I don't know what you want to do, Rick, as far as I won't be able to do any post game spaces or anything like that. I guess if you were running them, I might be able to, to join in just real quick. Um, you know, in between games or anything like that, but I'm sure you yep. and I will talk. And, and I will, I will be doing something after uh, games. We'll we'll do it live on here, post game shows. So uh, get ready for that. 
after the uh, Big East tournament games and NCAA tournament games. Uh, if we if we change that up and we decide to do something else, like maybe some video stuff, I'll let you know. But for now, expect just live post game spaces after all of those. Yeah. Games. I will, I will be there. I talked to Adam, too. Adam and I are kind of going to do the same sort of coverage, if you all remember, from the NIT where we did some pregame stuff and, and put it on Twitter. We're kind of going to handle it the same way from, uh, from that perspective. So we'll have stuff all week. I will be, you know, you all follow me. You all know kind of what I bring to the table with some of that social media stuff. But like I said, I'll be working with the Big East, too. So I'll be there for every game. Um, I am flying Tuesday, so we'll get some of that pregame coverage going Tuesday night into Wednesday. And then uh, – off and running this is one of the best weeks of the year best month of the year for sure and uh, we'll rick and i'll have you covered all week and uh, it is it's time for the biggest tournament so we'll talk to you all later especially throughout the week thanks to everybody that has listened all season this has been a real fun real special regular season too thank you to all of you you've all made it worth it and uh, we'll see you soon